Sermons from Union Chapel Baptist Church. And continuing the portion of the Sermon on the Mount. And today we will look at verse 8 particularly, and the title of the sermon is Purity of Heart, Life, and Vision. Matthew 5, 8. Purity of Heart, Life, and Vision. And that's how the sermon is going to be broken up into those three parts. We will look at the internal purity of the heart, and then the external purity of our life, and then we will see the reward of having a pure vision, being able to see God. And so as we've looked at through the Sermon on the Mount, we've seen a couple of different things I want us to call to, to mind. That as a citizen of God's kingdom, we are to experience true inner blessing and true joy. The first step is to recognize that we are totally dependent on God. As we see in verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit. To be poor in spirit is to recognize that you are spiritually bankrupt. You cannot bring anything of value to the Lord. We depend on Him wholly. And then we also are to depend on God with our whole life and submit to Him as King, as we see in verse 5. Blessed are the meek. For the ones who are meek, the ones who are humble, submit their whole lives unquestionably to the Lord. Then followers of Christ are to weep over their sin. They are to recognize that they have fallen short, and they are to turn in repentance. As we see in verse 4, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. They will be comforted because God has now restored their relationship to Himself, and they no longer need to weep. They weep over their sin, then they are comforted because God has forgiven them. And then we saw how obedience to God's kingdom's laws are made possible by His power. In verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. For God is the one who satisfies our soul. He is the one who satisfies and is, enables us to obey His commands. We cannot do it in our own power. And then we saw last week, if you receive the mercy of God, you are also to give the mercy to others. In verse 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And today we'll look at verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So remember, to be blessed is to have true inner joy. It's not a superficial form or temporary happiness that you can get from other things in the world. But this type of joy is within you that can be within you and give you joy even in the sufferings and pains of life. And in verse 8, we see that we can have this joy by being pure in heart. And the outcome of those who are pure in heart will be that they will see God face to face. So the heart locates the core of the person, a place from which we feel, we think, where we determine our actions. It is our very essence. And the one who is pure in heart is pure in two ways, internally and externally. So internally, we are cleansed from all past sins and are given a new and clean heart by God Himself. And then second, externally, because we have a clean heart, we will have a pure and clean life. We will speak differently. We will act differently. 
and our pure heart, which enables this pure life, this is evidence that God has saved us. Because we live a pure life does not earn us entrance into heaven, but is because we are invited into heaven, because we are saved, then we can live this pure life. And another blessing of salvation is that we will one day be able to see God face to face. So today as we look at the purity of heart, the purity of life, and the purity of vision, I want to open with this illustration of the ermine. He lives in north, northern Europe. He's a weasel or a mink in the mink family. He's a small animal known by for his snow white fur to camouflage himself in the winter. And for several centuries, European countries have considered this animal a symbol of purity. In one of the legends, it was said that hunters would hope to capture this ermine by putting mud around its home because they knew that it wouldn't go in it for not because they didn't want to get dirty. And so that's how the legend goes, so it says. And so the, the ermine would not go to his home. He would not hide. Instead, he would refuse to get his white coat muddy. He would honorably face his pursuers and gladly accept death. Again, so the legend goes. I don't know if that's actually true. But for centuries, this has been the symbol. And this, uh, it's even been phrased and associated with phrases such as death before defilement, death rather than dishonor. And we have an emblem from the arms of Anne of Brittany. This emblem pictures this ermine and they put mud around its home and put mud around it so that it would not escape the circle of mud. And the banner reads, Malo Mari Quam Fodari, which if you know what that means, it means I prefer death to defilement. So we're going to look, be looking at external purity today, like the ermine, but the emphasis first will be on internal purity of the heart. For the heart of the matter is actually the heart itself. Our heart needs to be made pure before we attempt to clean up our external act. But let us seek this internal purity with more vigor than that of the ermine. Let us seek this pure heart which leads to life and let us prefer death to defilement. For dying with a pure heart will guarantee life eternal. Life in the presence of God. And as I noted earlier, the heart locates the core of a person, the place from which we feel, think, and determine our actions. So Jesus here is emphasizing a pure and clean internal nature of a person instead of mere appearances. For example, if you look in Matthew 23, 25, Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, Hypocrites, because they put on a mask. They cared about the appearance, but not the inside. He says, For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that, you, that the outside may also be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So this is similar to being pure in heart in Matthew 5, 8. 
For Jesus is focusing on the heart of a person rather than the outside. For people can be like the Pharisees who appear beautiful. They appear to be holy, righteous on the outside, but in, in reality are full of greed, self-indulgence, selfishness, fill in the blank. Jesus is calling his followers to have a purity, a holiness that is rooted deep within their heart and soul. Not just a mere appearance of holiness. This kind of hypocrisy can also be seen in Southern culture. And as someone who grew up in Louisiana, I'm well versed in Southern culture, in which people put on a nice face in front of somebody, but then may talk bad about them behind their back. I'm sure you've never experienced that. And so Jesus is calling us to a higher righteousness than that of the Pharisees who, ass who assumed and appeared to be righteous. And he's calling us to a higher calling than that of Southern culture. He calls us to actually be pure and clean from the inside out, not just appear clean. And it's not that Jesus does not care about the external. He cares about how we talk to people. He cares about how we act and how we treat people. But he wants to make sure we get the order of things right. For it does no good for us to try to clean up the outside while the inside is still rotten. Instead, Jesus tells us to be pure in heart. And in Matthew 23, 26, we read how Jesus said, first clean the inside of the cup. That is the first of things. That's what we should do first. And then, because of our heart is clean and pure, then the outside may also be clean. And you may try to attempt to keep your outside clean to others. You may even fool people. People may think that you're holy and you appear righteous. You may go to church every Sunday and Wednesday and when, whenever the doors are open, but on the inside, you're hiding something. And you may fool people, but you can't fool God. God sees the heart. He sees every desire and every thought that we have. We cannot fool God. And honestly, we probably can't fool people. Our true desires will come out eventually. And if we don't clean the inside first, we'll, we'll be like Matthew 23, 27. We'll be like whitewashed tombs. We'll be clean on the outside. We might be appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones. You can only keep the outside clean for so long before your true heart comes out. And as, as Jesus says in Matthew 12, 34, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Therefore, let us seek to have our heart and our hands cleansed, our internal attitude and our external behavior. But first, we must turn to God for Him to change our heart. And to do that, we will look at what it means to have a pure heart, purity of heart. We need to recognize that we are in need of this. If you look throughout the Old Testament, you'll see that our need for a pure heart is evident. For example, Proverbs 20, verse 9, Who can say, I have made my heart pure? I am clean from my sin. Who can say that? No one. Job 4, 17, Can mortal man be in the right before God? Can a man be pure before his maker? 
Job recognized the difficulty of being pure before a righteous and holy God. Who can be pure before his maker? And we'll see the good news is that with, all, with God, all things are possible, and he can make us pure before him. And one last verse in the Old Testament, Job fifteen fourteen, What is man that he can be pure? Or he who is born of woman that he can be made righteous? Job recognized the inability of man, humanity, to be righteous, to be pure. But we'll see Jesus comes to make that possible. But first, you have to recognize you are in need of this clean heart. You are in need of cleansing. You have to recognize that we have all fallen short of God's glory. We have all fallen short of God's perfection. There may be some of you today here that you may be the person that Proverbs 30, 12 talks about. He says, There are those who are clean in their own eyes, but are not washed of their filth. So be honest with yourself. Take a look in the mirror and realize that you are not clean. Don't deceive yourself. And perhaps in your own eyes you think of yourself as not that bad, especially when you compare yourself to the worst people you've ever known. But that's not a good comparison. It's like if I were to call myself a really good baseball player because I compared to myself to all the people in my school that never picked up a baseball. That would not be a good comparison. And you might pass for a good baseball player if in your high school of 100 students you were the best shortstop. But what if you broadened the scope and compared yourself to the best baseball players that have ever lived, that ever played the game? Your ranking would go down dramatically. So when we come face to face with the judge and creator of the world, it will do us no good to say, well, at least I wasn't as bad as so-and-so. The comparison you have to make is between you and the perfection of God himself. With this comparison, we should all respond in reverent fear, coming before God, asking for mercy, for we have fallen short, realizing that we need forgiveness that we need Him to cleanse our heart. 1 John makes this abundantly clear that we are to recognize our sin. 1 John 1.8 If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Don't deceive yourselves any longer. Be honest. Recognize even by your own standards, you are not perfect, much less God's perfect standard. But here's the good news. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It is God who cleanses. We cannot cleanse ourselves. You cannot do enough good things to counteract your bad. Your good deeds do not cleanse your bad deeds. Instead, we need God to cleanse us from within. This is what God does. He brings salvation. God is the author and finisher of our salvation. He even enables our obedience. The same is true when God cleanses our heart. God is the ultimate actor. Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. So we can go into God's holiness because of Jesus' blood. There is no other way. And in verse 22, 
Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean. By Jesus' blood, he sprinkles our hearts clean from an evil conscience and our bodies are washed with pure water. Here, Jesus is a sacrificial offering for our sins. We understand this imagery of a sacrifice from the Old Testament. As you read through the Old Testament, you'll see over and over again the need for sacrifice. These sacrifices are pointing to the true and greater, perfect, one and only sacrifice of Jesus. And in contrast to the Old Testament sacrifices, they can never completely wash away their sins. In the Old Covenant, Hebrews 10, verse 1, talks about how it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, it can never make perfect those who draw near. The sacrifices of the Old Covenant could never make them perfect. And then verse 2, Otherwise would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? Verse 4, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. For Jesus comes, and he is the once and for all sacrifice for sin, which cleanses our very hearts something that the Old Covenant could not do. But in the New Covenant, brought through Jesus' death, He gives us a clean and pure heart. We look back again to this important passage of Ezekiel 36, 25, which speaks of this New Covenant, which speaks of this clean heart. It says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and be careful to obey my rules. So the way to having your heart purified and cleansed is through entering into this new covenant by faith. And a covenant, again, is, is a different word for an agreement. An agreement God has made to His people that if you trust in Him as your God, Savior, and King, you will be granted these promises. You will be given the Holy Spirit. You will experience cleansing and salvation. So come today, receive this true inner blessedness and joy if you have never received it before have your heart purified, have it cleansed by faith in God. Peter describes this faith in Acts 15, 8. He says, And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as He did to us. And He made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. That is how our hearts are cleansed, by having faith in God in Him as God, Savior, and King of our lives. And here, Peter is emphasizing that no matter one's race, Jew or Gentile, all can be cleansed and be given the Holy Spirit if they have faith, if they believe in the gospel message. And some of you today, many here, from talking with you and getting to know you, I know that God has cleansed your heart from the way that you act. And you've entered into this new covenant. But perhaps some are putting on a show. 
Some have maybe fooled me. So I ask you and plead with you today, be honest with yourself. Have have your heart been truly cleansed? Have you submitted to God as your King, as your Savior, as your God? Do that today. Don't let the day go by. And if you have believed, if you have entered this covenant, if if your heart has been cleansed, then live in light of this truth. Really grasp it, because a lot of times we will hold on to guilt and shame. But if we truly believe, as the Bible teaches, that Jesus has totally cleansed us, we no longer need to feel guilt. We no longer need to feel shame or feel dirty. We are worthy. We are brought into the Holy of Holies. God has accepted us. He has cleansed us from every sin. And we are to live out this truth by living a pure and holy life by the power of His Spirit. And so God has made us pure, and we are to strive to live a pure life. This is kind of complicated, but this is the way of the Christian life, is that we live in a way that we are becoming what we already are. So we are becoming what we already are. In the sense that God has already made us pure and cleansed us, and we are becoming more like Him every day. This is the way we live because we live in, I can call it the in-between time or the already not yet. Jesus has accomplished his work on the cross and has been resurrected and has went into heaven, but he will come again. And we're awaiting on his return in which he will once and for all totally defeat sin and death. So we live in this in-between time where we, were, we are becoming what we already are. We are becoming more pure and cleansed. This is the way of the Christian life. We still struggle against our, our sinful nature. But God has empowered us by His Spirit, given us a new heart to live out His commands. And this is what we look at in our second point today, purity of life. Because we have a pure heart, our life flows out a pure religion, a pure worship. And we can worship and serve God by living a pure life. And Jesus will describe what this blessed and pure life is throughout the Sermon on the Mount. And today I want us to look at three practical ways we can strive to live a pure life. The first is by taking care of those in need. As James 1.27 talks about how the pure in heart will take care of the orphans and the widows. James 1.27 Religion that is pure and undefiled before the God, God the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. As one commentator notes that the person of true and pure religion puts his heart into being a guardian, a provider. He alleviates their needs and shows them the love of the Lord in word and deed. And one ancient writer from long ago describes caring for the orphans and widows this way. Instead of fields, buy souls that are in trouble, according to your ability. Look after widows and orphans. Do not neglect them. Spend your riches on these kinds of fields and houses. And also, since God has purified your heart cleansed you from your sin from within, we should also continue to keep ourselves spotless, 
unstained from the world, unstained and from unfollowing the sinful lifestyles that are encouraged by the world. The second way we can lead a pure life is by being totally devoted to God. Over and over again, you'll see in the Old Testament, the things of God's temple are to be made of pure gold. They're not to have any defects. They're not to be mixed with any other metals. As people of God's temple, we should also be pure. We should not be of mixed metals, so to speak, but be of pure metal, true integrity, in which we are of one mind, one intention to serve God alone. And we are to have no other gods before him. What we believe should match how we act. We should not be double-minded, believing one thing and acting another, saying we worship the Lord but live another way. We cannot serve two masters. We cannot serve both God and money, for example. We should be totally devoted, our whole self devoted to the Lord. As James 4.8 makes this connection between the pure in heart with being single-mindedly devoted to God. James 4.8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. I was talking to Jane Layden this past week and she was telling me about how she was working with and inspecting different kinds of metals and steel for these parts that they were making. And one day she got a big shipment in, and she, as soon as she opened the box, she realized that this steel part was below par, that it was not pure, that it was, had defects in the metal, and that she knew if she did not send this back and reject this steel part, that it would be crushed under its service. If she put it into where it was going, it would not take the pressure. The same is true for us. If we are not of pure of heart, when faced with the pressures of the world and temptations, we may crack under the pressure of sin and temptation and sufferings. We need to have our hearts changed and purified by God and totally and wholly devoted to Him, being of one metal. And the third way, we can live a pure life is being by, be, by being a person of peace, a peacemaker, which we will look at more detail next week in verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And as Hebrews 12, 14 connects being a peacemaker with seeing the Lord, just as our beatitude today does with being pure of heart, for they shall see the Lord the peacemakers shall also be the ones who see the Lord in Hebrews 12, 14. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. For God is holy. Again, you cannot enter his presence. He is perfect unless you have been made holy yourself. And as we spoke of the difficulties last week of being merciful, even to those who have sinned against us, we're also called to this difficult task of striving for peace with everyone. And yes, God says everyone, no matter who they are, or what they've done. We need to seek peace in that situation. 
And here's one example Richard Phillips gives of a Chinese evangelist named Watchman Nee. He uh, was a Christian uh, who had a, a in, in, in his uh, community, there was a Christian who had a rice field, and he was working hard to pump the water and irrigate the stream to the rice field, and he dug a irrigation ditch. But beneath him, uh, there was another field. His neighbor, he diverted his water so he could water the neighbor's fields. And so the Christian was obviously upset about this and wanted to, you know, seek vengeance and get this, uh, you know, wanted to retaliate. But he was patient and he consulted his friends and said, what should I do about this? And they prayed. And one of his friends, uh, they said, maybe you should not seek justice in this in this situation. But maybe how can you be a blessing to your neighbor? And so the Christian pursued a different strategy. The next day he went out and first pumped the water into his neighbor's fields and then went on to the additional labor of watering his own fields. Before long, this procedure brought the neighbor out to ask, why in the world did you do this for me? And he got to share his, his story and his faith about how Jesus saved him and how he was a merciful and a peacemaker with him and he was being a peacemaker with his neighbor. And that man eventually became a Christian himself. So caring for widows and orphans, being peacemakers, are just some of the ways we can strive to live a pure life. And we will go into greater detail on what it means to be a peacemaker next week. And we continue to learn from our great master teacher, Jesus, as he gives us guidance to live in his kingdom and live the true and blessed life that flows from a pure heart. Now we turn to our, our third point, our last point of purity of vision. We will be able to see God one day. And throughout Matthew, we will see Jesus perform miracles. And one miracle in particular, he cleanses the, a person with leprosy. Now, leprosy was a very serious skin condition in which people with this disease were considered ritually unclean in Levitical Old Testament law. They were not allowed to be within the community of Israel. They had to be outside the camp. So thus, while Jesus has the authority and power to heal the unclean leper, even more so, Jesus has the power to heal our unclean hearts. And as Jesus touches the leper's skin when he heals the leper, thus taking on the leper's uncleanliness, but in return cleaning the leper, even more so, Jesus takes upon himself our uncleanliness. He takes upon our sin and died in our place so that in return we would be made clean. And once the leper was cleansed, he was brought back into the community. He was brought into the fellowship of his people. And the same is for us. Once we are cleansed from our sin, we are brought into the family of God. We are brought into the very presence of God himself. And we receive this eternal promise that blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Thus one day, everyone, no matter believer, unbeliever, will stand before the Lord. But only those who have had their hearts purified by Christ's sacrificial blood and sought to live a pure life of worship and service to God, those will be allowed to see Him. 
for God is holy and He is perfect. That is why He warns Moses in Exodus 33:20, "You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live." For Moses was not holy, he was not cleansed of his sin. For God is holy and man is not. But those who are pure in heart, we can find true and lasting inner joy here and now in the trials and temptations. We can have true joy because we look forward to the day when we'll be resurrected and glorified and every trace of sin is removed. As Dr. Quarles puts very well, we will have unhindered fellowship with God even to the extent of seeing Him. Those who seek the face of the God of Jacob, Psalm 24, 6, will see him at last. Again, we must recognize we live in the time of the already, not yet, in the in-between time. We have true blessings and great experience of the presence of God now with the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. And Jesus came to earth in the flesh. He is Emmanuel, God with us. So people could actually see God in the flesh when they saw Jesus. But we await even a more glorious sight. 1 Corinthians 13:12. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. So all the blessings and experience of God's greatness and glory now is just looking into a mirror that is dim. But one day we will see his glory face to face. And now I know in part, then I shall fully know, even as I have been fully known. As one commentator notes, there will be always a certain fuzziness in understanding him and his ways of dealing with us. But someday we will fully understand that he has been truly good and righteous and loving in all his ways. God has revealed himself to us through his Son and through his word, we can see the glory of God in His Word and in creation, and we have given many, been given many explanations of how God acts and what who, who He is like, and He has told us how we are to live. Even then, nevertheless, the day will come when we will see God face to face and know Him more fully. This should give us reason to rejoice, reason to have joy in the midst of sorrows and despair. We look forward to this day. Just as 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now. For we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. Because God's not done with us here. We're still working to be more pure. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. For through Christ's death and resurrection, we can be brought into this new covenant. We are also adopted as sons and daughters of the King. We are God's children now, but God's not done with us yet. We strive to be more like Him every day in this life, and we'll be made like Him in the next. So look back one more time, Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So trust in Christ, your great physician and healer, the one who can cleanse your very heart and soul. And continue to live in this light of the truth by living with a pure heart in word and in deed. And as Augustine said long ago, 
Learn to prepare what you need in order to see God. And why prepare the eyes of your head? Purify what you can see with. Faith in God purifies the heart, and the pure heart sees God. Thanks for listening. For more information, see unionchapelbaptist.org.